Hello, thank you for listening to Ambient Light, where we talk about the art and magic of our photographs. I'm Sabrina, and I'm your host. I was giving a class the other day, and my students and I kind of went off on this tangent about how photography is like really a magical medium. And have you all seen that quote? I've seen it on the internet a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it because I'm not going to bother looking it up, but it's something like if you encounter technology that is sufficiently advanced, you'll perceive it as magic. I think about that a lot with photography, except I think about it in reverse because the properties of photography haven't changed since its inception. Um, Some of the technology has changed and definitely how we relate to photographs has changed, but you know, the, the idea of photography has not changed. So it's not that when I talk about the magic of photography, it's not that I'm talking about it being magical because it's so advanced that we can't understand it. Rather, I think that it's something that has become so ordinary that we've lost sight of of what it's actually doing, of the kind of magical things that it's actually doing. So um, I want to talk about some of those today because I really, as I was in the class and kind of, you know, again, going off on a tangent from where my class was supposed to be, I just started getting really excited thinking about this idea. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of like the reception when photography was first invented because there's some pretty interesting um, perceptions about photography then and then I like this is something else that I like to talk about in my um, university classes with my students is how do we denaturalize photography and again that's something that we're so accustomed to we have photos everywhere in our house we have cameras in our phones in our pockets in our hand all the time so you know, we think of photography as just a natural part of our life, but it's really useful to denaturalize it to, you know, as I say a lot in this podcast, to make it strange, um, to try and imagine what it was like to experience it for the first time. So let's, I want to start with a couple of like anecdotes from the time of photography's invention. So photography was invented um, in the mid to late 19, or sorry, in the mid to late 1830s. The official date for photography's invention is 1839 um, because that's when the process invented by Daguerre, uh, Louis-Jacques Mondé Daguerre, was announced to the French government. And he was offering the invention up in exchange for a lifetime pension. Um, He had worked with another, don't want to call him a photographer, with another experimenter um, whose last name is Nisiphor Niepce. And they had actually, like Nisiphor Niepce had actually kind of um, invented a way to record images permanently. But it was really difficult and they looked like shit. So it it definitely wasn't going to become what photography became. So Daguerre worked with Niepce. Uh, Niepce died while they were still working on this. Daguerre um, managed to figure everything out after that. 
and he came to the French government to say, okay, this is a really important invention. This is going to change everything. And rather than me control the patents and have myself be in control of all this, I want to give it to the world in exchange for a pension, lifetime pension. And he got it. And it's awesome. Like, thank goodness he got it because otherwise what in the world, what in the world would the photography industry be like if it had remained proprietary? Okay. So when it was, when photography was invented, um, when the daguerreotype was invented, the exposure time, it was pretty long exposure times. So what that means is that you know how we're accustomed now to, we press the button on our camera, on our phone, and uh, the shutter releases pretty quickly after that and the image is captured and that's the image that we were looking at that we wanted to see. So the exposure time is very rapid now. When photography was invented, the exposure time, which means how much time light had to be exposed to the plate, was a really long time. I think we all know this, right? Like I don't need to um, sound like I'm in class. Sailor, don't start barking. Hey, come. Come here, buddy. Even if you don't have the, the terminology for it, I think we all understand and we all know from just kind of pop culture that um, when photography was invented, it was not really practical for quick motion photography. It wasn't practical for capturing anything that was happening quickly. It wasn't practical even for portraits, which, you know, didn't require that much time, but did require the sitter to be still for a few moments. So the two kind of anecdotes that I want to talk about in relation to some of the more magical properties of photography that we tend to forget about have to do with um, this long exposure time. The first one is something that I know very well because it was partially what my research was about in graduate school, but one of the first photographs by Daguerre is um, a street scene. And maybe some of you have seen the street scene. It's um, a busy boulevard in Paris. There's Parisian buildings lining the two sides of the street, and the point of view of the camera is up on maybe the third or fourth floor of a building and um, you're very clearly looking out the window from from a slight height and although this was one of the busiest streets in Paris the photograph didn't record any of the busyness it didn't record any of the activity of the street in fact the only human recorded is uh, somebody a guy who was standing still on the corner long enough to be recorded because he was having his shoes shined. So that means that he was standing still for the duration, or at least maybe not for the entire duration of the exposure, but at least for part of the duration. So when we're looking back at this from the 21st century, we, we already know like, oh, okay, that's because the exposure time was too long to capture things that were moving quickly. Like we've, we've already naturalized that into our just, you know, it's just something that we know. Um, but at the time, in 1839, 1840, not everyone was as certain why this was happening, which I think is just fascinating. There's so much about early photography and early photographic practice that reveals this kind of in-betweenness of photography between, um, 
you know, between art and technology, between something created that you know what you're doing with it and something that's kind of magical where something's happening and you don't know why. So not everyone understood why the streets were empty when they started seeing this image. And some people thought, oh, the sun decides what is worthy of being recorded permanently. So the sun decides that the, the city of Paris is worthy of being recorded permanently, the actual city street, but the people aren't, right? Or maybe there's some other property about um, the plate or about light that is making this decision that some things are worth being recorded while other things are not. Now, some, some people, some critics did understand exactly what was happening. And um, I think Samuel Morse is the one that I'm thinking of. He observed the, the daguerreotype that I'm talking about. He observed the image in Daguerre's studio and he wrote a letter back to, um, I think, his brother in the United States. And he understood that what was happening was that the exposure, the shutter had to be open for so long that things that were moving just wouldn't be there long enough to be recorded. But even he kind of speculated about what that would mean for people taking pictures. If you have the idea that photography as a medium, that photography as a technology that its job is to record things that are worthy of being recorded, then you're giving the agency to the medium. You're giving the agency or the power or the decision to the processes that make up the final product of the photograph, which is just like, to me, that is so bonkers. Like at the beginning of this invention, it was as if the, photographers, there was no word for the, there was no term for photographer, but it's um, as if the person snapping the, the picture, pushing the shutter release or whatever, had no say in what was being recorded. That's the way it was kind of popularly perceived and popularly talked about. And when you look at this image, we don't get the benefit of seeing the photograph with the street as populous as it would have been. But this is one of the most popular streets in Paris. There's all kinds of theaters on the street. It would have been full of horse-drawn carriages and pedestrians and people selling stuff. And, you know, it would have been really loud and cacophonous. And we don't get any sense of that from the picture. The way I want to kind of wrap this back into thinking about commercial deliveries and stuff like that. So it being really magical at the beginning is that this photograph showed the city streets in a way that no person would have ever seen them. There is no time in 19th century Paris that the street would have ever been this empty, even in the middle of the night, even, you know, five in the morning, it didn't matter. The streets were always, always, always full of people. You know, if not, if not pedestrian traffic, it would have been full of people moving goods. Some kind of 
it was pretty, it was a pretty magical thing for the photograph, for the daguerreotype to be able to capture this imaginary city that nobody else would have ever been able to see except for that mediation of the camera. And that's actually, I'm just saying this as a note to myself, the sense of the camera mediating otherworldly view of things is another thing that I want to talk about probably in a different, we're not, I'm not going to get to that today. Okay. So what I was saying was that it was through this technology, through the camera that people got this almost otherworldly or like parallel reality. That idea probably didn't exist then, but who knows, maybe it did. But a view of their city existing in a way that they couldn't experience. So that's something that I think is pretty magical. And that's right from the start. Another thing that I think is a way of thinking about the way photography was perceived as magical right at the beginning was the way it was popularly called a mirror with a memory, which is just such a great term, a mirror with a memory. So if any of you have ever seen a daguerreotype in person, a daguerreotype is what we call a hard image. So most photographs that we think about are, are on paper. They're, you know, they can be ripped, they can be uh, ruined by water, they can be folded. Daguerreotypes are images on the copper plate that's, there's kind of this eerie thing that happens where coated with silver. And before the exposure is made, before the exposure is made so that the picture appears on the daguerreotype's surface, the surface of the plate is polished to have a, a mirror-like quality. So they're shiny. Um, if you ever get to hold one and look at it, the image that's recorded on the daguerreotype is only fully visible when the light hits it a certain way. So when you're looking at daguerreotypes, you're often kind of moving it back and forth a little bit and tilting it until you get it into the right. And as that's happening, sometimes you're reflecting it towards your face to find the light. And so light for you to be able to see the entire image, you get this really cool experience of looking at the face of someone who lived almost 200 years ago with your own face notion of the photograph being a mirror with a memory superimposed with it. And it's a little eerie. And even then, even when it was invented, this, it doesn't have so much to do with the fact that the viewer is looking into a mirror-like surface, but more that the surface itself looked so much like a mirror and replicated such details of the sitter's countenance, of their face, of their clothes, details that even the most talented miniaturist. So this notion of photographs, early photographs, daguerreotypes, being a mirror with a memory where, again, I, I like that phrasing because it's, it's giving the agency, it's, it's personalizing this object to say that this shiny plate 
has a memory and it remembers would not have captured in that way. It will remember things that you won't. And when you think about the fact that daguerreotypes are one of a kind, durable in a way that paper photos aren't, and that they are so kind of, there's really a sense when you're looking at a daguerreotype and when you're holding it, I think that there is a, an aura there's a much more forceful feeling of the presence of the person who got their, their portrait taken. And I'm not talking about like spirit presences or anything like that. Although I probably will talk about that later because spirit photography is a whole other fun thing. So those are a couple of examples from the beginning of photography that denote now, some of the ways that we have become so accustomed to photographs, how people experiencing it for the first time made sense of what they were seeing, I think are also worthwhile discussing for a minute because these are really the things that, to me, are what make photography magical, but that we just completely take for granted because we know what photographs are and we know what photographs do but one of the main things and this is you know built into the medium this is how the how the care how cameras work how technology works photographs show us things that the naked eye can't see because they're showing us things in absolute fractions of a second I mean sports photography is a really obvious example of that where you know, you see sports photographs of um, athletes in motion, and it's a quality that happens with every single photo that we take, even if we're not thinking about it. You might notice it too if you ever see a picture of yourself making an expression that you don't know you make. That's kind of a really jarring way to experience this. Or, you know, like uh, horses crossing the finish line and racing and all kinds of uses for photography and sports. But, but this stopping motion is showing us what the naked eye can't see. Because when you're, obviously, when you are doing anything in life, when you are having an experience, every moment is connected to the ones before and after. There is no slicing time in life the way that you slice time in photography. Photographs are able to show us something that we cannot observe, like our brain cannot segment time, isolate moments the way that photographs do. Photographs have that unique ability, you know, out of any kind of um, technology that we're using right now. It's the only thing that does that, that segments time in a way that it can be, that a fraction of a second can be made eternal, right? Think about that. A fraction of a second that any old picture that you take of your pet or of your friends or of your family or of yourself, that fraction of a second is being permanently recorded forever. And I think that ties into 
Another way that I like to think about photography and magic is that it makes something passing permanent. So we are, again, so accustomed to living with photos and to seeing pictures of people we've never met and will never meet and saying, oh, that's my great grandma. Oh, that's my uncle. Um, so-and-so. Oh, that's, you know, that's my mom's dog from before I was born. He died before I met, before I was born. Like, stop and think about that for a minute. (laughs) Something passing. I mean, in this instance, I'm talking about people because that's a way to, I think, really drive the point home. People, things, emotions, moments, all things that pass rather quickly in the grand scheme of things can be made permanent. And to take that one step further, things that were created as a decades ago, a moment that happened decades ago, or even almost 200 years ago, if you're talking about the earliest photographs, can be experienced now, can be viewed in a way nearly lifelike replication of what a place looked like, what a person looked like, what a ceremony looked like, what what an emotion looked like. All of these things that happened so quickly and so momentarily can be preserved and can be experienced by people that will never know the person who originally made the photograph because it was decades ago or, you know, decades before their lifetime. Photographs see across time and space. That, I think, is the coolest. We do not think about this. If you thought about every single picture you take or every single picture you own, absolutely most magical property that we as something that projects, make every photograph we take say something, but our photographs are saying something whether we intend to or not. Photographs project meaning across time and space. So what I was just saying a minute ago about a moment from decades ago that has now been observed by you in a photograph let's say this is probably pretty common let's say you have a photograph from the wedding of your grandparents that your life or your image or your values across time and space like that's pretty heavy it's okay I'm not trying to say that we all have this massive responsibility to instant that moment is something that has been made physical that you can hold in your hand and that you can look at and that often triggers memories you probably wouldn't have a memory of being there if this was your grandparents wedding but you might have memories of them talking about it you know you might have memories of some of the uh, accoutrements associated with it maybe uh, a dress or some jewelry or something like that these are tangible memories and what I mean by them seeing across time and space is that through photography you can 
have relationships with people that you've never met. You can, and uh, you know, again, I'm not talking about like romantic relationships through the internet. I mean, you can observe familial traits through photographs. You can observe the things that relate us to each other in our family or the things that just relate us to each other, you know, as in humanity. You can observe those in photographs, see photos of places that you may never go to, but you can see what they look like. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? There's this, that's the travel industry. <laughs> There's entire, and that's kind of the internet too. Um, even if the time between the creation of the photograph and you experiencing it by looking at it, even if that's hundreds of years, there's still an experience there. And they see across space too, because you can, it's become so mundane to us that we honestly just don't even think twice about how photographs have this ability to collapse time and space in a way that gives us experiences that we would never, ever, ever be able to have otherwise. So even this little discussion has already made me think of other ways <laughs> that photography is magic. <laughs> and um, I'll just kind of sprinkle them in. I've made notes. And this is just something I'll bring in from time to time. What ways do you think photography is magic? listening to this episode of Ambient Light. I'm Sabrina Hughes. If you're ready to start preserving your own family photographs, visit me on my website at photoxo.net. That's p-h-o-t-o-x-o.net. This podcast is supported by my patrons on Patreon. If you would like to become one of my patrons, I would absolutely love to have you. You can find me on patreon.com slash Sabrina Hughes. And I'm very active on Instagram on my regular account, which is at Sabrina Hughes, and on my vintage photo account, which is The Picurious, T-H-E-P-I-C-U-R-I-O-U-S. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.